Hello, my friends. This is Andy coming to you live from Orange County, California, and I have a special guest today. <gasps> you may not recognize her. Uh, her name is Hedia, my lovely wife. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. My favorite interview of all today. Very good. Uh, one thing I want to uh, tell you is that if uh, something were to happen, if you're watching this on Facebook or Twitter, uh, one of the locations you can find is on YouTube. Just go to at the Andy Falco Show .com. The Andy Falco Show .com. Uh, I also have a podcast, and it is called the Andy Falco Podcast.com. Go there, and you'll be able to find it on Apple Podcasts. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, what's happening in Afghanistan, and I and I figured what better guest could I have than uh, Hedy Amaramadi, a, a leading expert in uh, counterterrorism. You've uh, spent time with several presidents under their administration, advising them through the FBI and some other contract um, uh, contracts you've had with the U.S. government. So if you wouldn't mind, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about your experience so that people understand what gives you the authority to be able to come on this sure. amazing show called The Andy Falco Show <laughs> and share all of your expertise in this area. Other than being your wife. Other than being my wife. Okay. Yes. Uh, I actually uh, began my career in counterterrorism in Southern California. I had connected myself with a couple of FBI agents who back in the mid-90s mm. were investigating the rise of radical Islam here in the United States. There was It was at the time when there was only two Arab-speaking uh, FBI employees in the entire country. They didn't have uh, computers that can access the external, <laughs> the external internet. They only had an intranet. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, fast forward, it actually led, it was a passion of mine. I'm trained as an attorney, but uh, counterterrorism and research became a passion of mine. I moved to D.C. I worked for a number of NGOs, for some think tanks. I was um, appointed by President uh, George Bush, George W. Bush Jr. to serve in Afghanistan. And after that, I've spent a uh, countless number of years under various administrations, every administration since W, uh, doing either um, grant work, contract work, going overseas, writing reports, coming back uh, and spending time basically studying radical Islam and what were the community-based programs that would uh, serve as a as a barrier to radicalization and recruitment to terrorism. And my last stint before I left DC was at FBI headquarters building a national terrorism prevention program um, that unfortunately got stopped once Trump came into power, but it was a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So what's important, I think, uh, and I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but I just want to make sure that it does get mentioned that you were Muslim at the time. Yes, absolutely. I was Muslim at the time. I was Muslim. I actually had decided to, left, uh, to leave Islam when I was at the FBI and I came out here to California and I had a radical personal encounter with Jesus Christ in my home after watching a series of YouTube videos. So Story that, for another day. So that brings me to a question that I asked you on an earlier show that we were on together, our uh, Living Fearless devotional that we do on a daily basis. But uh, I it just, we mentioned it, yeah, and we have somebody that's on right now from Afghanistan, but- I, um, Am I noticing that? Assalamualaikum <laughs> Kabul. Uh, we'll get to his message in one second, but I wanna ask you as a Muslim, at that time, yes. at, at the time of 9-11 and everything that was going on in our country, what was your, did you have a, did you have an intent as a Muslim coming in the U.S. government? Was there something that you wanted to, to say to the world, to the, you know, the, the citizens Absolutely. of America as a Muslim working for the American government? I mean, you were surely getting attacked as uh, because you had to wear a head covering and you yes. obviously looked like 
uh, some of the people that we were worried about at the time. <laughs> yes. So where were you coming? What was what was your position uh, as a Muslim, uh, you know, just personally for the American government? Well, first, I was born in the United States. My parents came here to live the American dream. So they didn't come here as refugees or exiles from Iran after the revolution. They came here to live the American dream. My father has always been extremely patriotic. I was attending, you know, Republican fundraisers with him since I was a little girl. He was what was the term is called a bundler for the Republican Party. He was appointed by Governor Wilson to the state medical board. It was always I've always been extremely patriotic. Um, fast forward, I decided I needed a relationship with God and Islam was a natural place to go because it was culturally what was familiar because of my background, my family background. But when I found out what radical Islam was doing, even here in the United States, I was horrified. And I was like, this is impossible. I basically applied my legal skills to countering the radical Islamic threat. And I wanted to make a point based on the community I was a part of and average everyday Muslims I met throughout my life as a Muslim, that um, this wasn't their fault, that there was a radical fringe of Islam that was hell bent on taking over the world and killing everybody that came in their way. Wow. And I wanted to make the distinction between everyday Muslims that are just good hearted people happen to be culturally Muslim. They, unfortunately abide by a God that is not actually God, which is an unfortunate situation, which is why I spread the gospel now, but uh, they are sincere, good-hearted people. And I wanted to distinguish between that group of people and the terrorists. Awesome. Uh, let me first uh, visit some of these people that are on. Please comment and let us know what you think. If you have any, if you have any questions, if anything comes up where you want to know, yes. and want me to ask uh, Hedy a question, make sure and comment. We have Nalani on here. Hi, awesome. Nalani. Nice to see you. Um, and then we have a gentleman from I'm assuming it's Assad gentleman. from Assad. Kabul. Uh, yes. Hello from Afghanistan. Assad means lion. Oh, I'm so happy that you joined us. Uh, we may end up talking towards the end about the underground Christian movement that's in. Uh, yes, I'm so curious. Uh, Amy Feltz is on. Uh, so glad y'all uh, talking about this. Y'all, she's from Texas, obviously. Uh, Nalani says, wow, I knew you were awesome. However, your profile is phenomenal. We Thank appreciate you. you. Uh, and Assad has some great things to say about uh, this guy that we have in the White House. Joe Biden is a complete joke and a waste of space that uh, the way Biden left Afghanistan is irresponsible. We're going to say the least. We're going to get to some of that. So with that, um, uh, what have what kind of emotions have been stirred up? I mean, it's been a while since you've been in the White House, but you you worked so hard for so many years developing programs to keep uh, uh, terrorism at, at bay so that we could be safe here in the United States. And we have an administration, much like Assad just said, that um, is just a joke. What, what's happening today is it's, it's, a, it's an embarrassment. It's a dangerous. Um, so, um, just what are, what are your emotions and what is it what's on your mind as we uh, have, you know had these issues over the last couple of days well any of us that have spent any amount of time working on afghanistan whether it was in a diplomatic position or as a researcher or our amazing men and women that served in the armed forces uh contractors you name it there is a overwhelming sadness mm. not that this wasn't expected that we that we failed and we will fail in afghanistan but that it the amount of toil and treasure and lives lost to do something right, to have it end this way is just, it's criminal, it's offensive, it's, uh, it's depressing beyond measure. And then it just makes you 
a little worried about what does this mean? What's going to happen? Because this, it can't be sustained this way forever. So what are the new terror threats that will arise as a result of it? And where do we go from here in our relation, our diplomatic relationship with this part of the world? You know, there's a lot of people that um, will say things on social media or I've seen on the news as I've been watching is that, 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 that that's been such a waste. And I, and I want to caution people about that aspect of, of making such a blanket statement. Now, yes, there's been a lot of lives lost. There's been a lot of money spent and that kind of stuff. But essentially, for the last 20 years, we've been terror free after since we've gone there, that we've we've been fighting back. Is there something that we can say that it wasn't necessarily a, a complete waste? I mean, we're going to get into some of the money that's spent and some of the uh, corruption, but um, there's got to be something that we can take away. I mean, these the, the men and women that lost their lives, the families that have sons and for daughters, sure. brothers and sisters, husbands and wives that have been killed in Afghanistan. Uh, I just hate for them to feel that it was for nothing. Well, I, I don't say a total waste. Mm. There was a tremendous amount of waste. Uh, so it definitely wasn't a total waste. Actually, I, my article for the Christian Post talked about two of the greatest accomplishments. One is the gospel of Christ went forward in a, mo in a very powerful way mm -hmm. that was not possible and didn't exist in its entire, you know, centuries of existence. The gospel hadn't gone forth. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was a huge, huge uh, milestone for us and will continue to be. Mm -hmm. uh, the advancement we had for women and the relationships that they built is a tremendous victory for those women We'll talk about what that means for them now, but I think we didn't need to accomplish a lot of that with the amount of money um, that we spent because of the massive corruption. Mm -hmm. And I think we could have had a much lighter footprint and accomplished a lot of those goals. And that's the part that's a waste. And we have been largely terror free. I'd like to also point out is that the a lot of the terrorism was emanating from other parts once we had a massive presence in Afghanistan. So it is, it, it did, our presence in Afghanistan shifted the terror concerned like to Syria and Pakistan. And that's why we had the rise of ISIS and homegrown terrorists. We had hundreds of Americans being recruited to fight in Syria, which was a, a very, very difficult situation. That's the, at the time when I was at the FBI at headquarters. So, um, it definitely wasn't a total waste, but we we spent mm. way more than we should have. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to some of that. And so I need to set up this next question uh, a little bit because this has really been bothering me with a lot of issues. I mean, not just Afghanistan. We keep seeing this the same story repeat over and over and over again. And uh, it is that we have this guy in the White House uh, who claims to be president and people claim that he's president. Uh, and he spent 50 years in the Senate. He spent eight years as vice president of the United States of America. He's now been in power only seven months, but we can add that to his to his uh, resume. Uh, and then we have uh, military leaders, uh, you know, these guys, I don't even want to say their names. Four-star generals. Yeah, just generals and, and, and that have been around probably for, uh, you know, not only this recent war, but Desert Storm. We could probably go back even further with some of them. They've been around. Right. They've been in these other countries. They, they see how difficult it is to fight some of these uh, wars against a religious faction, that it's not the same as somebody who simply wants to take over land, that there's a there's a bit of a difference. We we have these people that have experience. They, they've been to universities. They've been to uh, some of the best military uh, universities and academies on the planet. And then they, this happens and they say, oh, we didn't know. Oh, who? Oh, we, we thought it was going to be okay. Like, you just want to go, do you think we're stupid? 
I mean, do you really think that we're stupid, that you have no idea, no knowledge? Do they think we're stupid? You've worked with these people. You've worked side by side with them. You've had meetings with President Obama, with with Bush. Everybody I see on TV commenting, I've been in a meeting with. (laughs) You've worked with. And now they're saying, we didn't know. It just kind of happened. Do they think we're stupid or are they just really naive and stupid and uh, and and just incompetent here sorry the, i went on a little bit of a rant there but no it's a combination of being um arrogant foolish and evil mm. and they're either all th- some of them are all three some of them are one or two but the example i often give is isis and the rise of isis and mm. what we did in iraq and there are people sitting back in washington who largely for the most part are secular or atheist. So most of our diplomatic corps uh, don't believe in the impact of religion on people's lives. And when people like that are developing policy for countries that have been ruled by religion for 1500 years, then there's an obvious disconnect that occurs when you're drafting policy and then you try to operationalize it on the ground. So though we keep making the same mistakes over again, People, you, you're, it, that's why people in the Middle East think we're doing it on purpose. The people in the Middle East think that Muslims think we created ISIS. Well, when we left all of our military equipment there and all the ammunition and we unemployed 300,000 Sunnis, put on top of them the Shiites who just started to massacre them, then they said, well, you must have, and then we left. They said, you must have done this on, yeah. on purpose. Well, no, we didn't create ISIS on purpose, but it's a series of miscalculations that leads to that. So let's let's look at Afghanistan. How could these generals not anticipate what's happening? I use the very simple example of my little stint in the embassy. They were uh, the USAID folks came and gave this wonderful power presentation about having built a school. Mm-hmm. And it was in the outskirts where people didn't travel and it was beautiful. It was these 3D renderings. And I was like, wow, that's fantastic. And then a very senior diplomatic official was like, wait a second, that school has not been built. You're lying. And, and they were shocked. They were mm-hmm. shocked. What, what do you mean? Oh, we're not lying. How could you say we're lying? These are the uh, from the contractors. It's been built. He's like, I went in a helicopter with the Afghan government that does not exist. And that epitomizes everything that happened in Afghanistan. And it did not exist. And it did not exist. It had not been built. And they had pictures and they said, hey, look at how beautiful it is. Yes. And all of us in the staff at the embassy were like, what? I mean, because we weren't allowed to leave the embassy. I couldn't even go eat a kebab on the street corner. So I was like, what what do I know? I wasn't even allowed to leave the building. So we were just kind of just stunned. At how that can happen. That's just one example. That happened over and over and over again. So when we say we were training the Afghan National Police and millions of dollars went to U.S. contractors to train the National Police, to train the armed forces, they were coming back and giving reports to the generals in D.C. saying, this is what's been done. This is the training that went through. And even the generals that were stationed in Afghanistan, the reports were coming back. I mean, they can't micromanage these things. The reports were coming back. We did uh, the, oh my God, I'm going to give you a dog example. Okay, good. A dog example. How many cases do you testify in where they said the dog's perfectly trained, find the narcotics on every time, <laughs> sits and alerts? Those are the kind of reports the generals were getting about this army. I get them every time. 
You get them every time. Do you ever get a report that this is amazing? The dog's never missed ever. Do you ever get a report that this dog sucks? (laughs) Never. Never. Same thing in our military. This is a great army. They absolutely can take over. Do not because the writing's already on the wall. The train has left the station. We already plan to leave. So the report is everything is fine. Don't worry about it. Whose fault is that? Should the generals have gone and checked? Should they have checked the guns? Should they make looked at the target records, the target practice records of each of these guys? Mm. Should they should they have paid home visits? I mean, at what point do you say whose fault this is and everybody's passing the buck onto somebody else? Wow. And that's how you get this total chaos in an airport in less than 24 hours. Well, it, just really quick, another story that I heard is they built a, an electric station for vehicles, for electric cars yeah. in the middle oh. of Af- Afghanistan, or it might have been even Iraq. I'm not sure which one. And you're thinking, well, why would you do that in a in in an area that it's all about oil? Like, really? You're, who are you going to sell an electric car to in the Middle East when their lifeblood is oil? Yeah, not going to happen. And they it's spend just millions like, and millions of dollars. It's just like revamping their university system to do gender studies. Right. I heard that today. <laughs> yes. I heard guys today literally saying, "Oh, we're going to have equity over in Afghanistan." We're like, what? Are you, you are freaking crazy. Again, that goes back to not having an appreciation and understanding of the culture and of the people. Wow. So what do you think the biggest reason or reasons uh, of this move occurred this weekend? I mean, Friday to Monday is when all this happened. What what is um, what do you think? Why? Why do we have such a disaster? How did this happen? Just now, like, why did why did we need to do this today? Why did this need to happen this week? Well, I, from what I understand, President Biden wanted it to happen on the anniversary of 9-11. Oh, yeah, like, he, he, he thought that this was going to be a grand finale. I, I don't know how that calculation went so wrong. But like I said, can because you, of- Can you be tied to a date? When you're, re- when you're dealing with something in the Middle East, can you tie it? Well, we're going to do this on the 4th. Well, yeah, you could pick up your toys and go home any day you want. Yeah. So they, they, that's what we did. We, we picked up and we didn't even take all of our toys. Have you seen those pictures of the empty yes. police headquarters with tons of guns yes, and machine guns and, and yeah. trucks? And so we just left. Bulletproof Toyotas? Yeah. We're all left behind with the keys in them. Exactly. And so Al Qaeda is going to have a fresh new face in a month all right so why does this happen uh in, in this I, I told you between arrogance foolish and evil people oh. it's a combination of the three. Oh my gosh i mean the video of all the guns that were left behind in 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 because that's what we condition. do it's too expensive to bring them back they say you blow them up yeah throw them in the ocean we did a lot of that in vietnam i mean there's a lot of stuff that we can compare this situation to Vietnam and Saigon, the fall of Saigon. But at least they were taking the helicopters and dumping them in the ocean. And, yeah, and no, so ever since Iraq, we never did that. Or maybe they, you know, some people could report that we did that with some stuff, the very sensitive stuff. But for the most part, we just leave it there. It was, it's a, it, it's a horrible, horrible tragedy. And now the question is, and, I, and also I'd like to say that I think after the we realized the American people did not have the stomach for nation building. So Iraq and Afghanistan, I worked, I was under a neoconservative administration. A lot of those uh, folks were my friends and they believed passionately in American exceptionalism and that we were going to export democracy. President Bush believed it wholeheartedly Mm. that this is what we were put on the earth to do. And when the administration changed and we no longer were into nation building and everybody was exhausted from the whole 
somewhat silly notion of, of, uh, of nation building, we didn't have another plan. Right. There never was another plan. So even an exit strategy, you want to end the combat and, and declare a detente or a victory, whatever you want to call it. We never developed a clear counterterrorism national security mission for Afghanistan. And then everybody would understand what we were doing there. It was just the leftover war. Right. This is, this is really the frustrating thing because it, it just seems like we have so many clueless people. And, uh, and they're not. I know, but it doesn't make any sense. I mean, every as a police officer for 21 years, if there was a major incident, not just like a car stop, but if there was a major incident where there was an active shooter in some place, you had to almost always develop a plan, even a quick one. Right. What are we going to do? What's where in, in, you know, you know, where, where is the shooter? Where are they at? Where are we going to enter from? Who's the entry team? I mean, you put all these things together. There's always a plan. It's, it's almost like you have this, uh, if, if I can use this as, and I'm, I'm going to try to use this as a comparison, but a building is dangerous. Maybe it's a, you know, a, 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 a 10 story building in the city that needs to be torn down. And, you know, it has to be torn down to save people's lives. And it's, but it's full. It's got people in every, in every part of the building living everywhere in the building. And it's almost like you have somebody like Biden say, all right, well then blow it up. And they, they blow it up. You go, well, what about the people? We've got to get the people out. That's well, just like I, Afghanistan. He blew it up without getting the people out where the other person would say, okay, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> we're going to or, uh, organize a way of getting these people out and get them let's out. give them the benefit of the doubt that they did internally have an idea, but it didn't go as they expected because of the other things Plan we discussed. B. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> we're in Plan B right now, right? <laughs> yeah. We send uh, we send other troops there to secure um, to secure the airport to get our our folks out and right. to give visas for the um, the people that served as translators, and that's. Assad's question was, how can other countries trust America? And, and quite frankly, most countries don't mm -hmm. for this exact reason is that we lose heart and we abandon nations that serve uh, our after a while, they no longer serve our interests and we turn our back on them, which is a horrible experience and um, it's not a good pattern. There was a, a, a little bit of, um, you know, during the election and all this kind of stuff happened. I said, OK, give them give, give these people what they want. And let them see what it's like. I didn't know it was going to be this bad. Nobody I, did. I, I would have taken that all back. Nobody. Like did. I said, well, give them that this this guy, and then watch what happens. You know, the economy is going to you know tank a little bit and some other stuff. Who knew that he was going to open the borders, and so that when Afghanistan falls, that now the terrorists are able to now come through our southern border, which has already been happening, by the way. Yeah. People from Syria, a hundred different company or countries. We we see immigrants coming through. Immigrants coming through. Terrorists criminals and that kind of stuff who knew it was going to be this bad and then i see him there in the uh, meeting overseas with all these other leaders of germany and canada and japan and you see him there and you know that they can see that he's 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 the short of a of a couple cards in his deck right he, he, they, you know they can't they can't not see that he has dementia and yet they were praising him and oh we well, thank god you're here but now they got to be they got to be like very upset. Germany's got to be upset that F that they let Afghanistan fall the way that it did. Australia's got to be upset. Absolutely. Um, uh, um, 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 whoever else is over there, you know, that uh, was is going to be affected by the by the Taliban taking over this country. But I know you have very strong opinions of our current president, <laughs> and I, I have strong opinions, not probably as strong as yours, but. 
Having worked under five presidents, I could tell you that it's really not the president that makes the difference. Mm. These cycles, as Trump referred to it as the swamp, these cycles continue administration after administration. And I was making quite a bit of money, like everybody else, doing the same thing over and over again for a different administration, for a different branch of the yeah. government. And I just, I left because I got exhausted. I just couldn't do the same thing over again, expecting different results to the definition of insanity. Nothing there's, ever there's changed. There's one flaw, I think, with our system is that we are often recreating uh, the system, recreating the wheel. We just, because what happens is a Republican administration comes in, the Democrats go into think tanks. Then the Democrats go into power, the Republicans go into think tanks. And the same people get recycled over and over, over, and over again. So the essence, the groundwork, the foundation of our diplomatic core never changes until somebody dies. Right. And so you wonder like, oh my God, how did this happen again? It's because it's the same people doing it. Right. I hear you say it all the time. When somebody will pop up on the news and you go, oh, what? I can't, they hired them again? <laughs> Literally my entire, my entire LinkedIn, I'd say 80% of them are now back in the administration. They were all unemployed under Trump and yeah. now all of them are back in the administration. Wow. Every single one of Seeking them has revenge. a <laughs> Quite <laughs> frankly. Let's get to Assad. I think this is a good question. Go ahead. Can you read it? Uh, do you think it's reasonable to lose faith in God and not believe in God if your parents were killed by the Taliban? Mm, uh, that's a tough question. No. I, I, for me, it's not, actually. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is I said, I don't, I don't know if um, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the one true God, or you're a follower of Islam. But one of the greatest things uh, I, I came to the understanding of as a follower of Christ is Evil people do evil things. God doesn't do it. And so I don't blame God for the evil in the world. I blame man because we're essentially sinners. We have a corrupt nature and we do horrible things to each other, which we have done since the beginning of time. God is constantly trying to draw us towards him. The Old Testament and the New Testament is all about that experience until he sacrificed his own son to save us essentially from ourselves. But he never takes away free will. God has never taken away free will of man. So we have the opportunity to choose life and to choose righteousness or choose evil. And people inevitably choose evil. Mm. And that's not God's fault. No. Wow. Thank you for that. That was a great answer. I have to read this next question because it's uh, it involves some people that I'm not, or a person that I don't know, but this is, or I, what I wrote here was, one of the excuses I heard today was from National uh, Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, is the reason that Joe decided to pull everyone of uh, the military and civilians out of Afghanistan, the reason they had to leave and leave nobody there is because we, the United States, don't maintain a military presence in countries that are involved in a civil war. And then he went to answer this is the, the question was posed by a, a appeared to be a South Korean uh, a woman uh, reporter and saying, you know, can we can, are they going to stick with us in South Korea? Are they right. going to stick with Japan? Are they going to stick with all the other countries that we have bases in as a as a support or a, a, a shield of protection from the enemy? But I, I found it strange that he said, well, we don't do that for civil wars, but we do it for external enemies of these countries. Does that make any sense to you at all? I just was it, it dumbfounded. Makes, 
absolutely no sense because in each of those examples, they, their, their presence there was preventing a civil war right. because it originated as a civil war. East Germany, West Germany, South Korea, North, North Korea. Korea. Yep. And even Japan, it was the emperor's forces against the, the democracy forces or whatever we mm -hmm. want to describe it. We, we turned it into a nation against tyranny. So there's always forces internally that are pulling the country in two different directions. And we weren't there as a result of a civil war. We were there for a counterterrorism mission right. trying to push them towards modernity. So we weren't there because of a civil war. Actually, our presence, it kind of exacerbated a civil war there. But that's not why we were there. And that's not why we should have stayed. We weren't there as a peacekeeping force. We should have had a laser focus that our mission remained a counterterrorism one. So we could have maintained a presence on based on our interest. The United States, well, there's nothing wrong. We were already there. We already had bases there. We already had right. uh, equipment and people there that we could have maintained a presence as we'd have for the last couple of years. There, and, I, and I think on Tucker, we heard the other day, uh, yesterday, that there hasn't been a, mil a military uh, person, any military Terry personnel that have been killed by the enemy, Taliban, whoever, Al-Qaeda, um, in the last year or so. Right. And so one of the other arguments I hear today is that, well, we were tired of having Americans killed in a place where they, they, we shouldn't be. But, but nobody's been killed. We, our presence has actually provided us a little bit of safety. For the last 20 years, right. we've not been attacked. And I don't know logistically how it works for, because, I mean, our servicemen and women are... Uh, tired and mm. they've been exhausted and stretched way too thin. And our heart goes out to everyone who sacrificed, um, whether it was physically, emotionally, all the sacrifices that went mm. into it. But I think there was maybe a, it's a internal policy for the defense department and the military to change it from combat missions, from deployments to a security mission. And the deployments may be operated in a different way. Mm -hmm. Maybe it could have been more voluntary instead of mandatory deployments, especially those that had gone three, four or five times already. So I think there could have been internal policy changes that could have shifted the mission. But again, nobody, at least publicly, articulated that this is our new policy for Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. and, I, and people like to haphazardly blame this on Trump because he said he was going to withdraw. But the reality is Trump didn't withdraw. Yeah, because back to my building scenario, uh, Trump would have taken the people out of the building before he blew it up. Well, and <laughs> the reality is he did not take the troops out because yeah. I think he listened to his advisors. is like, it's precipitous. We can't take him out until we have a plan. And he didn't get a chance to articulate a plan. Yeah. And so he left him there. And he changed the date. Yes. And he moved it. And uh, and would have he would not have let this happen. One of the great thing about an interview I saw uh, with Mike Pompeo uh, today clearly um, uh, stated that that we we had a plan. And he goes, I can't tell you the entire plan, but I'm telling you, I think that's what he said. He just he just said we had a plan. There's no way that this would happen under our administration. And I believe and I believe Mike that Pompeo. Mike Mike Pompeo is well, a that's why he didn't honorable do it. man. No, yeah. but that's why Trump didn't do it. Yep. Yeah. If you ever listen to one person, he may not listen to Millie or some of those other nitwits, uh, but uh, Mike Pompeo, I think he listened to. And Mike would have said, listen, let's not, let's do it this way. Let's do it that right. way. Who is in charge of our diplomatic corps? Right. And that's who we should be listening to. Right. Uh, it, it's a, it, we, we can talk about police. We know we got, uh, you know, congressmen and senators never been in law enforcement, never put a uniform, never been uh, in, a, in a street fight ever in their entire lives, making policies about what police can and cannot do. You can't do that. Right. We need to go to like we need to find somebody. OK, who has experience? And let's listen to what they have to say. 
You um, don't know how many meetings I sat through about what we were going to do in these Muslim countries. And me and my colleagues would sit there and be like, these people wouldn't know a Muslim if a cane hit him in the head. <laughs> like, it was, I mean, it was it was at times so depressing and at other times comical mm. because we used to joke, uh, a lot of us used to joke that we wish there was this room with 10 evil men sitting plotting around a table to how they were going to take over the world. But in reality, the U.S. government doesn't work that way at all. Mm. It's a series of comical, ridiculous errors, moving the Titanic, government run by 25-year-old staffers that are making policy that their bosses never read about countries they've never been to. I mean, it's just, it's really a bizarre system um, that I have to give credit to Trump trying to change, but I don't know how much of it he was actually ever able to change. Yeah, and it his, goes on. He was on his way. That's why they they did what they did. All right. So um, I, I want to talk about the, the relationship between Al Qaeda and the Taliban. Now, the guy's name was uh, what Jake, Jake Sullivan, uh, national security advisor, who in the same uh, press conference, said that uh, uh, they're never going to be working together. <laughs> like he has any credibility. <laughs> they're never going to be working together. They don't like each other. They've been warring for such a long time. He said, so we're not that Since concerned. Have they been warring? I don't know. That's what he said. He said they, they have different ideas and different things. They're not going to be working together. What, what, is, what do you know about uh, Al-Qaeda, <sighs> the Taliban, and a poten potential relationship or a teaming up? Is that, you know, I, I know it's compl um, complicated, but. Talib means the student. Taliban is the students. Okay, that's the Arabic meaning. Okay. Al-Qaeda is the base. So Al-Qaeda, the, the base of operation for the students. Oh, wow. So they are actually, they were created almost um, symbiotically off one another. Uh, Bin Laden announces Al-Qaeda, the growth of Al-Qaeda, the base of which he's going to build the caliphate with the Talibs, with the students. So, <laughs> oh my God, this drives me bananas when people say these things. And, and I hear uh, reporters all the time talk about uh, Al-Qaeda is going to reconstitute. Al-Qaeda Al never needed to reconstitute because it's still there. Uh, and people's talking about like the Taliban didn't have any power. When we sent researchers in back in 2010, we were alarmed and actually did not know how to report that almost everybody we interviewed said, we're all Taliban. And we didn't understand what they meant. Like, what do you mean? He says, you don't understand. Talib is a student. Mm. It's the student of the doctrine. So it turned into a resistance movement against Western influence. So anybody who espoused conservative traditional Islam, even if they weren't Al-Qaeda, they weren't terrorists, they preferred to be Talibs, students of the Taliban, than to be Westerners. Wow. Why have you never explained this to me before? <laughs> I don't think you ever asked. <laughs> who knew to ask? Who, what, what part of the administration never asked? And like, well, you know, they just kept. Well, it, it reminds me of when I was just sitting in these meetings at the Pentagon before we went into the evasion in Iraq. And the plan, as you all saw unfold, was that they were going to disband. Uh, Brennan disbanded. Um, his army, what's the guy's name that we deposed there? The Michael. Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein's army. Yeah. And basically it's a minority Sunni that controlled the Shiites. And so our idea for decades, and so our idea was we were gonna depose the Sunnis. There was like 300,000 of them, civil service, army, every branch of the government. And we were gonna put the Shiites in charge. 
And I said, but wait a minute. Uh, people like me were like, wait a minute, but the Shiites are next door in Iran. The Shiites of Iraq in power next to the Iranians is a disaster. They're going to team up against us. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. The Iraqis and the Iranians hate each other. They were in a civil war. They were in a war against each other. I said, you don't understand religion. The Shiites will always unite against the Sunnis and then worry about the fallout later. It's a common enemy. It's a common enemy. Right. Nobody listened. And now what? Iraq is a hotbed of um, Iran inf influence. Right. And we, wow. again, picked up our toys and left. You tried to tell them. Oh, I, yeah. It was, who <laughs> no, listened to me? I told you, that's why I ended up leaving D.C. Oh Even gosh. when you watched the news, I was like, I can't, I can't listen to this again. I can't I listen to the people saying this over and over. Literally 22 years of my life, I heard the same things. I mean, I called my old boss um, a couple months ago when I saw the new FBI report come mm -hmm. out. I was like, dude. We, we wrote this five years ago. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you noticed? It's like, this is crazy. Yeah, but, but and to that point, I think um, as upset as I am about Afghanistan, the thing that upsets me and concerns me to no end is the policies and programs we built in countering violent extremism now being used against um, Christian Americans. Mm. That is really um, what is my biggest concern now. Well, that's my next question. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> so so uh, now this disaster is taking place. What is your biggest concern with Afghanistan? Or what is the, what is the thing that, um, that uh, keeps you awake or gives you hope? Okay. I have to separate America from Afghanistan. So for okay. Afghanistan, my biggest hope is the gospel. Because uh, the, the greatest hope that, the, that we have to offer them is the gospel of Christ. And that will bring the peace, the freedom, the, the redemption of lives lost and, and futures that look dark. It's only the gospel of Christ that will, mm. that will solve that problem. Uh, my biggest concern is, is for the Western-influenced Afghans that relied on us, that um, developed programs as a result of us, their program, all that money's going to dry up, their safety's now in jeopardy, their families are being slaughtered. It, it's a horrible horrible bloodbath. And I can't say how that's going to turn out. I don't know who's going to offer an alternative, who's going to step up. I don't know if any of the Western nations are going to step in at this point. It's going to be left, as Carol says, to Russia and China. And God knows what, what kind of future that means for yeah. them, because that's purely economic. They could care less if the women died by a, a, a stoning every single day. Um, as far as I've heard, it's, it's happening already. Uh, absolutely. You know, they, they've said, oh, we're going to have women in our government. We're going to. Did you hear that? That they've said they're going to have women in their government uh, of some sort of some roles in their government. <laughs> how are they going to get there? They can't drive. Um, and they uh, but they're knocking on doors uh, and, yes. they're, and they're looking for people that have helped the Americans and helped uh, the other uh, allies that we had there. Uh, they're using the, um, for instance, the helicopters have uh, certain infrared things and things, you know, thumbprints and things that you do to get them started, I'm guessing. And so they're able to use and take some of that information and go compare it to people that are still in country, yes. uh, other uh, Afghans, and they're they're seeking out those people, checking for papers uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then we have um, uh, the issue that we're hearing uh, Pastor Jack Hibbs from Calvary Chapel talk about where they're already selling off uh, young girls as wives uh, to the Taliban uh, leadership and maybe not even the leadership, just some of the, the people that are working. Um, 
that uh, that is definitely something that is just really um, disheartening. We also I saw a message you sent me about they are missionaries. They're going after the missionaries now. Oh, for and, sure. And uh, and and it's tough. And and I and I hear you bring up the the gospel. And we do a devotional every day. We talk about Jesus Christ and and how amazing He is uh, has been for us in our lives. Uh, but it's these times that you. It, 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 I can see where people would struggle with that understanding that you got these Christians that are stuck in Afghanistan when they're asked by the Taliban, are you a Christian? And, um, but, but I think for the most part, for the most part, they knew what they were up against mm. in Afghanistan. I mean, it's illegal. It's it, the, the punishment is death. Yep. So, the internal, you can't travel to countries. Yeah, I mean, there's probably be, 20 countries I can't travel. You'll be arrested and you'll be uh, executed. And tried yep. for apostasy in from the airport. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even get into the country. They could seize me at the airport. So yeah. I think the missionaries knew what they were getting what they were getting themselves into. And God bless them for the power, the courage, the f internal fortitude it takes to do that. Mm. Um, but it's. It's just like us telling the Taliban to negotiate with our demands for human rights and modernization when they're fighting over eternity. Right. You know, it's go tell a Christian to denounce Jesus and then you'll live. You won't do it. Right. Most, I mean, 99.9% .9 of Christians won't do it. Correct. So why would you think a Muslim would? Yeah. You're right. You had a second part to your answer. I think oh, I, about America. Yeah. Um, let's get to Amy's question and okay. then we could shift to America. Okay, go ahead and read it. Um, what's the difference between Trump's previous agreement with the Taliban and Biden's current agreement? I, as far as I'm aware, we don't have any agreement with the Taliban. It, we've, we, every, uh, the successive administrations uh, started in Obama, uh, were trying to negotiate a seat at the table for the Taliban. And to me, again, this is just ridiculous. For people that are trying to fulfill their godly mission to make a caliphate from which to attack the rest of the world, to give them a seat at the table as if they're going to play nice is absolutely absurd. Mm. It's like Lebanon. Uh, Hezbollah has a seat at the table and is constantly re wreaking havoc in Lebanon. It never worked. It doesn't work anywhere because Muslims that are trying to live in this apocalyptic um, mindset on what they believe Islam is telling them to do can never sit at the agreement in a democracy. Right. They can't sit at the table. Is that like these peace accords that they had in the Middle East and they, they never had them before because they were saying that, well, uh, Palestine has to be involved somehow and you would never get them to agree to anything. And so finally Trump said, all right, forget them. Yeah. Let's do it without them. UAE like, is more than happy. Right. They're more than happy to have a peace agreement because they're like, it's because not it's our impossible. land. No, UAE, it's impossible to have it with Palestine, but right. UAE didn't have a problem right. with having a peace agreement that's with Israel because it's like, that's not our land. So here we have the Taliban and the, 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 um, the Biden administration is saying, well, we did it because Trump had made this impossible agreement. But what, what is that? There's no agreement, right? There, there's negotiations, there there's negotiations, attempts, there's tries. Let's let's do this, and you give me this, I'll give you that. And he is a negotiator, <laughs> but there's no agreement. There's no. We never uh, went on to a uh, a battleship like we did in World War II and sign an agreement. None of that ever happened. Yeah, and the Taliban would, uh, out of one side of their mouth, say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, we, we 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 want a seat at the table." Right. 
but it's we're going to decide what the table is going to look like. I think nothing. Jake said, "Well, we didn't want to. We didn't want to go back on our, our Trump's agreement." But they went, they went back on every single everything else that Trump ever did. <laughs> right. But he was there. Going, well, we didn't want to go against. Uh, we didn't. He didn't have a list. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Amy. I don't know the exact right. details of the Trump agreement. I just know that there were negotiations about including Taliban into the government. But to me, those are never really um, sincere or um, longstanding because they didn't actually get to the point where mm -hmm. they had a seat at the table, as far as I understand. Okay. All right, back to the second part of your earlier question. Oh, my That's biggest a, concern a is my biggest concern is for Americans. Hmm. Uh, and actually, I used to uh, train security forces on this issue that the greatest threat I think that poses to the United States is the civil war. And uh, just to see the DHS use the language that we so painstakingly drafted to avoid mentioning Islam that now looks evil, the intent was evil, or it just happens to be our bad luck, that it purposely grievance-based ideology and all of these words that we came up with to avoid mm -hmm. saying Islam are now being turned against um, conservative Christians. And that's just horrifying. Because if you understand the breadth and scope of that security apparatus in this country, for that to be turned around against everyday citizens like you and me, um, we're in trouble. Yeah. Well, we saw the list of terrorist threats that the, uh, uh, the yeah. administration. Anti-vaxxers, people who do are against the vaccine, people who don't like COVID restrictions. Or the result of the election. Or the result or, of the elections, who, people who question the election. We're on the list now with Al-Qaeda and uh, the Taliban. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's unreal. It really is unreal. And it's frightening, quite frankly. <sighs> So no, I'm sorry. Sorry, I haven't got lost in that. Uh, Amy saying, so Trump and Biden's effort to even talk with them were futile. Correct. Yes, in my opinion, <laughs> for those of us that uh, see again, if you don't understand the role religion plays in other people's lives, then you keep doing the same thing over again, expecting different results. We've tried this in every Muslim country in the world. The only country where we've actually brought terrorists into the government at, at the seat of the table, and we continue to talk to that government is Lebanon. Look at Lebanon. They have, they have a civil war and an outbreak. Their downtown has been bombed repeatedly. They can't even have a single building standing because it keeps getting bombed by either the Israelis or internally by Hezbollah. Right. Or look at Iran. That's another example of uh, radical Islamists in power that haven't left in 30 plus years. So you can't, you can't negotiate with people whose worldview is diametrically opposed to anything you could possibly see as acceptable. They'll lie to you, but mm. it's never accepted unless they come to you and renounce their doctrine. They would never do that. It's just like telling a Christian to come and renounce Christ. Right. And the saying that uh, America's got the clocks, but we have the time. Exactly. Is, is exactly. All they have to do is wait us out. Because the guy that just got released uh, by Obama, not just, but was released by Obama uh, from uh, Guantanamo is now in charge of uh, 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 Al-Qaeda and uh, is the leader. And he goes, I, I wasn't worried. I knew this. I knew I was going to be released and I knew it was a matter of charge and it didn't, he didn't even blink. And now he's sitting in the palace. I think, uh, there in, um, is it Kabul? What's, what's the Kabul? Yeah. Kabul. What did I say? Kabul. Kabul. Yeah. You say things a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, wow. I, I wanted, I thought maybe I'd be happier after this, <laughs> this interview. I, I don't even know. I mean, uh, the only thing uh, that I know that um, we have for 
a potential potential solution as we go forward is we have to start locally. I mean, we have to we have to start this fight locally. We have and then branch out fight that's, against that's against the. Uh, the, our, our own communists, our own Al Qaeda, <laughs> our own uh, Taliban, which is well, that's the, exactly the, what the, they want us to do, so they can arrest us. <laughs> well, I'm not fighting that way. <laughs> Fight uh, by being at the school board meetings, by putting different place in, people in place in our preserve uh, democracy before we have no more democracy to preserve. And we have to. We have to start. Totally. Yes. I, 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 there's no other way around it because we don't have we don't have another election for another three years. Can you believe this? This 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 dude. Uh, has only been in power for seven months. Right, but the policies have been in place for so long. Mm. Uh, like I told you, everybody that is in his administration, I know literally half of them personally. Um, I've worked with them for decades. So it's just a recycled administration. Everybody wants to blame him because he's Creepy Joe, but it's it's a whole team of hundreds of people that are um, DC dinosaurs, Legends. I think I, 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 I'm gonna, we're out of the questions I already had prepared, but I, I think you touched on it. But I just want to go a little bit deeper in the uh, the financial corruption that um, that people probably know a little bit about. They probably have an inkling that there's something going on, but how how deep is that? How how bad is it? And oh, the, uh, to me, actually, that's one of the worst parts. Bef uh, after the loss of life. Um, and the treasure that the Americans have lost, the American taxpayer, is the level of corruption. And again, this is, I think, a failing of us as a people because the corruption's on our end. Mm. We expect them to be corrupt. We, we have to lower our expectations of what we think of other nations. But what did our contractors do? How did they lie to the generals that they said they were training? How many boxes did they tick um, saying that these things were done when they weren't? Uh, we spent millions of dollars for private security contractors, and in turn, that money was paid to the Taliban to protect our trucks and to get cement in. And we paid for cement and steel to build roads 400, 500 times over because the roads never got built. Why did the roads not get built? Because the Taliban was shooting at us with the money we gave them to protect us. I mean, the level of corruption is just horrific. We were selling, we had farmers that said, well, you know, we want to sell wheat. We want them to change the poppy fields into wheat fields. And we're like, wow, that's fantastic. We're going to change it to an agriculture that they can export and it'll make a great business. I mean, it was great intentions. And what did they do? So mm -hmm. the Afghan farmers pulled up all the crops that they had that weren't poppy and started planting poppies so they can get the free seeds and sell them. Wow. Poppy production increased threefold. <laughs> oh my gosh. And it was Americans. And it was Americans keep selling, keep selling the wheat. Even though we knew what was happening, and they're skimming off the top. You got Everybody's contractors. Skimming. You got security uh, contractors. Everybody's living large. Oh, wow! Everybody's living really <laughs> large. I mean, it looks like it's a huge amount of money. The last, um, the last Afghan project that we were supposed to be a part of before I left that we didn't take was a two hundred and fifty million dollar grant. So the parent um, NGO and there's about seven or eight of them would get the entire corpus and then dole it out to individual partners to do small pieces. NGO of it. stands for? Uh, Non-governmental organizations. <laughs> How many? 200 $250 million. $250 million. Most USAID grants, there's nothing under $200 million. Wow. 
Well, thanks for that good news, too. You are just so full of good news. Why do you think I moved here and married you (laughs) and hang out and eat tacos? I don't don't know. Now I know. See, it's like a I I surprise Andy all the time with all these like little things. I'm like, you know, I've never been a passenger in the car. I've always had to drive. (laughs) He's like, what? (laughs) Just these little things that make life just so beautiful now. I I don't have to go to these crap hole countries anymore and. Do the same nonsense over and over again and expect different results. <laughs> that was shocking. That was yesterday. Yeah. We're driving around. And she goes, you know what? I've never been a passenger before. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Go, well, if I would have known that, I just, you can be my driver. <laughs> no. <laughs> it would be so weird. I, I couldn't do that. Well, thank you uh, for all this information. It really is important to get this uh, information out. Um, I'm sure that there's even more that we didn't get to. Uh, that uh, we could we could speak about, but um, yeah. Anybody have any questions before we sign off? Yeah, if you have anything before we sign off, that would be awesome. If you have and, uh, anything, Asad from Kabul. I don't know if you're still there, but um, we'd love to talk to you. If you had any other questions too, it's so exciting to have somebody on from Kabul. Yes, interesting. And uh, are you in hiding? Or are yeah. you? Yeah. What's uh, what's going on? I, I do want to know. <laughs> I thought about asking that earlier, but I didn't want to. You know like tip off anybody where he's at. Like, yeah, that's just, true I'm too. So concerned. Um, but uh, God bless you, protect you, yeah, keep you. At least he's able to and your family on, on the internet. Yes. Because sometimes that's one of the things that's one of the tactics yes. you shut off. the. Internet. I expect that. Yeah. I was, I thought that was going to happen too. Um, our, um, our gosh, my, I just lost my train of thought. Um, our pastor, Yes, uh, has been uh, talking a, a bunch about uh, you know some of the things he's doing. He's I think he said he's there's eight missionaries. They rescued eleven. Uh, did, did you? Uh, yeah, I, let's speak a little bit about that. First yeah. of all, we need everybody to be praying, of course, um, to stand in the gap for all of not only the Afghans that will now suffer, but the Americans, Europeans, um, the missionaries that are stuck there, the the people that are in hiding that have worked for the U.S. government, that have helped in some way, that have participated in our programs whose lives are now in jeopardy, and we ask you to pray for them. But there'll also be a lot of Afghan refugees coming into the United States. And if you're in a refugee resettlement zone, that's uh, Minneapolis is one, uh, the greater D.C. area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Um, I had a refugee resettlement, uh, like a social services network Mm -hmm. when I was back there. Uh, uh, California is one that... Um, if you're a believer, do what you can to introduce them to the gospel. Because I know a lot of people are very hesitant and they think it's rude or they think it's inappropriate. But one of the things I've heard uh, that I love that I think is one of the best ways to introduce the gospel is asking somebody about their faith and their belief system and say, oh, you know, I'd, I'd like to learn about it and understand what the belief system is. And then say, would you mind if I shared mine? I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he get he forgive me for my, my sins. Share from your personal perspective so that they can hear you and experience it um, th- uh, a third person, basically. So you're not proselytizing saying you have to become a Christian, but basically say how Christ has changed your life. And I think that that's really important. Break bread with them. Welcome them into your home. Um, one young gentleman, I'll never forget. It was so, so sad. Is um, He was in our program. We were providing social services to him. We had two Dari speakers on our staff. And he was jumped and he was mugged. And uh, he was in the hospital. He was badly beaten. Mm. And when we went to go visit him, he said, you know, sometimes I wish I would just go back to Afghanistan. He's like, I, 
survive the Taliban easier wow. than this. And it's devastating when you realize that people are running out with just a suitcase and they're coming to a country that they think is hostile to them and not realizing that we have an opportunity to show um, not only graciousness, but again, sharing the gospel of Christ and changing someone's life forever, for an eternity. Right, I love that, everything you said. Um, I do have a, a negative side of them bringing 40,000 Oh, yeah, there it will be the negative. Why do you think I'm telling them to share the gospel? Because there is a negative side to that. I've how seen the negative are, side. How many of them are going to be Taliban thinking, I'm a refugee. Please let me in. I'm running from well, the Taliban. That goes and, to Danielle's question because she oh. says, why weren't uh, the people promised visas fast-tracked? Uh, if you know anything about our immigration system, it is almost impossible to fast track anyone because mm. it has to go through DHS. Um, there's a department in, in Department of Homeland Security that has to do a background check, which in chaos is virtually impossible. And there is this hesitancy about letting them in because of fear of what they're capable of and uh, especially young men. So we have certain criteria of people that we do not allow in. And so that's going to be another element of this tragedy is people that will not um, come in and therefore possibly lose their lives. Yeah. And Carol uh, brings up a point. I was just going to mention this, too, is that uh, what I heard is tens of thousands of these immigrants are going to be brought to Texas in addition to the the millions that are coming through our southern border. I mean, Aren't they just hate Texas. To Texas. I know. Yeah. They are doing but, everything but that's, they can. See, that's not foolish. That's evil. They're purposely doing it to Texas. Yep. You know what I mean? Maybe. Because they're trying to change the constituency of Texas, sure the demographics bring, of Texas. I'm sure they bring some to Florida, too. Um, For sure. But Fort Bliss is where I, I did hear that. And Carol is correct. Um, I did hear that. Uh, we brought, just brought that up, right? And Carol says in our Well, that's the thing, Carol, is that it's an opportunity for us um, to turn them into an army of Christ. Uh, they come often scared, afraid, uh, discombobulated. And God willing, it's a time where we share the gospel and have them go. Because I'll tell you from personal experience, Muslims on fire for Jesus are some of the most powerful believers you'll ever find. <laughs> so to the extent we could share our faith with them and bring them towards Christ uh, would definitely be a good thing for us. And uh, for our friend in Afghanistan and for anybody that you could come in contact, send them to Resurrect Ministry. Yes.com, resurrectministry.com. Happy to help. That is uh, your ministry for, yes, especially for, for uh, this Muslims. purpose. Yep. Yeah. So send them there. Well, thank you, my friends. Uh, we got on for an hour. I was going to try to keep it short because I wanted lots of people to watch this. But if you could do me a favor, please, and share this out uh, as much as possible. We'll get uh, Priscilla's uh, comment in just one second. But uh, please share it out um, to your social media, to your groups, uh, whether it's the Facebook um, post or the YouTube channel. Uh, again, we're on Twitter and we're on Twitch. Uh, oh, wait, not on Twitch on, on this broadcast. But Facebook, YouTube, and two different Twitter um, uh, sites. So, um that people need to hear what Hedy had to say. I think a lot of what you said is very important for people to understand some of the, the, I hope it the, helps. the inner workings and that this isn't, none of this is a mistake. I, I don't believe. I think many, much of it is on, obviously on purpose and there's other hidden agendas and people are getting rich from this. We, uh, there is some belief that, um, uh, that uh, China and Russia did have a hand in this, that uh, they both benefit 
greatly from this happening. Absolutely. Getting the United States out of there, our uh, embassy being closed in Afghanistan, theirs are going to be thriving. They've already taken selfies in front of their Just like embassies. China thrives in Iran. <clears throat> right. Yeah. So, and Russia, too. Uh, I, I, I don't have a good feeling about our administration and what their hand is in and what they're going to be benefiting from this them happening. I know. Conspiracy theory. I know. But I'm telling you, uh, nothing will surprise me. I, there's nothing. Global politics me. are not conspiracy theories. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, Priscilla's Priscilla. like, why did we leave like that? <laughs> Half of the interview, definitely, <laughs> Priscilla, is about that. So... Um, I encourage you to watch the first half because we talked about that in great detail. And then Amy says, uh, we make it nearly impossible. <laughs> Amy, this is the <laughs> definition of insanity. It's, it's impossible for people to come legally, but illegally is easy. And it, how does that not encourage illegal immigration? I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's insane. Oh. It's insane how um, broken some of the system is. And I just, I hearken back to President Trump and my visions of him at a table saying, why the fuck are we doing this? You know what I mean? Like, why is it? because he's just a businessman saying, why does this happen like this? And then, you know, and then yeah. call this person, call that person. And I know how that goes because you call this person and that person and, you know, and the, in DHS or the, and then they pass the buck and then they pass the phone to this guy and then they pass it to that guy. Nobody's head ever rolls because there's always somebody else to blame it on. Right. It's housing and administration. It's the ATF. It's DHS. There's always somebody else in some other office in some other building that you could blame for why this happens this way. Right. It's like taking it over a on. failing business. You know, he's coming down. Good. What the heck? Trying like when to you turn took the over Titanic. My, uh, my accounting. You know, it's it's just it's like somebody else's way isn't always it's it's their way. But you come and take over somebody's account, and it's like what. Why are we doing Why are there this? ten steps to do? This? <laughs> <laughs> it should have been one step. Yeah, but uh, when it, when it gets to the government, they there's no better um, uh, organization that could make a mess out of uh, uh, buying a plunger for the toilet. Yeah, um, and, and and cost maybe you know a ten fifteen thousand dollars for that plunger. Yep. Um, and, and then everybody goes, well, give me my 10,000, give me my 10,000. And by the time you're done, it's a $50,000 pleasure. Yeah. Well, thank you, Eddie. Uh, oh, one more. Uh, Amy, oh, Amy. I had to go to YouTube. Uh-oh. What happened? We're glitching. We're glitching uh, in uh, Facebook. Well, I just lost my Instagram account, so. Yeah. Her, yeah. Her Instagram account. Gone. Fini. Just Years of development and, uh, and growing it, and they just took it from me. Just took it. No explanation. Wow. You violated community standards. I'm like, by talking about Jesus? I'm not exactly sure. Wow. All right, my friends, um, uh, thank you again for watching. Please share uh, uh, our message out as often and as, 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 uh, to as many groups and places as you possibly can. Uh, again, I think that people definitely need to hear what you had to say. Super important. All right. Anything else? Eddie? Thank Did you. Did we miss anything? No, that's it. Thank you, friends, for joining us. It was awesome spending time with you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye.